You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. That we sung today. The song selection, you know, you, I, I always tell our congregation the songs you sing on Sunday are the songs you'll sing on Monday. And we all know that what you think about is what you're going to become. And it's so good that the songs that you guys are singing, man, has that rich history and deep theology attached to them because those are the thoughts you're going to have Monday through Friday in the middle of the battlefield of the world. You already met my family, um, which is great. A little story for you this last Christmas night, uh, my little girl, Lydia. Uh, she was playing, and they got her on the wrong side of her brother's uh, mind and, and heart, and so he slammed the door on her, and her thumb got caught in the door, and it cut off the top of her little thumb. So we were in the emergency room with her, uh, getting that kind of taken care of. She's a trooper. She came out okay. The doctor said no bone was taken off, which is the big concern of that all, but, but man, she is our accident-prone little girl, a broken bone and a severed finger in one year. Uh, and she's only two, so I'm a little concerned for her future. <laughs> but that said, as an athlete growing up, I hope she'll be an athlete, so I expect more broken bones and more severed body parts along the way. It kind of comes with the territory. Uh, so I, I'm involved with FCA, and I'm not going to go into anything on that. Just so you know, though, uh, I, I've served for 16 years as a pastor in all different levels, youth pastor, young adults pastor, lead pastor. Um, and now with FCA, one of the things I love most about it, I get to merge uh, my love for sports with my love for theology and kind of bring the mission field into the schools especially but into the sports world specifically. So that's a lot of fun for me and it really is an honor to be here. On the th- second note, uh, knowing Pastor Peter Lee, uh, he, he, he hasn't really changed much. I mean he's gotten wiser but he, who he is now was what he was also like in seminary. So just a jovial guy who filled the room with his, not only his, his presence but what he had to say. So uh, you were blessed to have him for as long as you did. What I want to do with you this morning uh, is I want to give you a little bit of a challenge. There's a, a phrase or a statement, what if, that oftentimes as we look back in respect to things, that word or that statement is filled with regret. Uh, you look back at 2019, I'm sure you have regret and you think to yourself, oh, what if? What if I had only done this or that? Maybe it's with the stock market. Maybe it's with a relationship. But we all have some sort of regret as we look back. And some years are filled with more than others. My 2018 had lots of them. In fact, it was a very hard year. And the word what if was constant in my mind. And it was hard for me to break from looking backwards into looking forwards. Because this word or the statement what if also when it look forward is infused with possibility. Man, what if? What if we do step out? What if we do engage? What if we do move forward? What if we do take a risk? The statement what if is filled with possibilities. And I hope that this year, 2020, will be, that statement will be the marker of your life. What if we actually do do this? We don't sit on our hands and just sit back and wait. We actually do engage. And I love the fact that you guys are having Wednesday night prayer nights every week because that's the topic I want to talk on. What if you actually pray? What if we pray? And the question then is, well, what is prayer? To be clear, prayer is not about you hearing from God. Prayer is about God hearing from you. It's not you sitting there and going, Lord, give me something. It's about God saying, hey, tell me something. Tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me about your, your needs, your wants, your desires, your hurts, your hangups, all the things that's going on. Tell me. Talk to me about something. 
Which is why throughout the whole Bible we see prayer as a part of the relationship that people engage in with God. At every part of the scriptures there's prayers, there's specific prayers, and there's just a talk about people praying. Jesus himself prayed because prayer is the most fundamental thing that we do as a Christian. In fact, I would say that prayer is the reason that Jesus came and died on the cross so that you and I could pray. To restore a relationship with the Father so that we can actually have uninhibited access and ask him for things without any separation or division. And if Jesus went to the cross so that you and I can pray, maybe we ought to elevate this topic of prayer and say, what if we actually took God seriously and approached his throne room boldly with prayer? I think for a lot of us, prayer is scary. I mean, we have our pastors to pray, right? Many of you... Many of the people in my congregations would ask me, Pastor, you pray. You're more eloquent. You say it much better than I do. God likes you more. Obviously, you're in a position of pastoring. And in some sense, we kind of hide behind that of saying, well, that's the professional prayer. Because we're a bit scared to pray. We're insecure to pray. Even in the quietness of our room, what am I going to say? We have someone even confess. Sometimes we wonder, will God even listen to me? Does what I have to ask for matter to him? I mean, he's controlling the whole universe. Right? He's got bigger things on his plate than my little world. And we get insecure with it all. And if that's you, if that is you this morning, that you've ever had thoughts of that nature, I want you to know you're in good company. It's the exception that somebody is the other way. In fact, you're in such good company that the 12 disciples felt so insecure about their prayers, they approached Jesus one day. And they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And I want to look at the passage in Luke chapter 11. If you have Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, I'll have the scriptures on the screen, though I always encourage you to turn. And I call it muscle memory. You learn where things are at in your Bible. You actually get a sort of a muscle memory to your Bible as you turn to a spot going, that's where prayer was. Okay, I now know where to go for that. Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be. He's not only going to teach them about prayer, about what is prayer or how to pray. He's also going to teach them the importance of persistence in prayer. Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And I love that it doesn't tell us where he prayed because we like to deify every place that Jesus went, right? And say, well, this is the best spot to pray and that's not as good. You can pray anywhere, at any time of day, in any location, there is no more sanctified time of the day or sanctified location for you to pray. God will listen to any moment for you to talk to him. It says when he finished, and I always am curious, what did Jesus finish with? In my name I pray. I mean, I'm not quite sure how that went. Maybe it was just, that's that. I don't know. It is finished. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, you would think that one of the prerequisites for being a disciple of Jesus was that you knew how to pray, right? In fact, I'm guessing that if a pastor was, was candidating for a position and they got up to pray and had no idea what to do and just bumbled around, you'd say, I don't know if we want them as our lead pastor or as any pastor, well, Jesus had a bunch of 12 guys who said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We need to know how. So he said to them, when you pray, say, 
And I love that he doesn't guilt them. Say, shame on you. I'm disappointed. I thought you'd be better than this. Man, I was really short-selled on this, this acquisition we had here going on. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't guilt them. He helps them. Because let's face it, Jesus understands that talking to God is a bit awkward. When you're really honest with yourself and you realize just where you sit in this whole spectrum of things, God's up here, you're down here, yes, there's a bit of a, oh man, can I really ask this? Can I really talk to him? What's he going to think, right? There is a bit of that, oh my goodness, situation. I remember a friend, actually this girl in my ministry when I was a youth pastor, walked up to me and said, Pastor Tim, there's a guy I really like and I want to talk to him. But I don't know how. What should I say? I think a lot of us have the same thought toward God. I want to talk to God. I don't know how. What should I say? Doesn't matter how I, what advice I gave to her. The question, I think, mirrors so much of what we experience. And if that's you, this is what Jesus would share with you about talking to God. And I love the first word he says. He says, Here's how you should pray. Father. A very different picture than one I gave the girl. In which she's going to a guy she likes but doesn't know. Father's a very intimate term. When you're approaching God, you're especially, especially as a Christian now. Hear me on this. Every other religion in the world, they may pray, but only Christians pray to God as Father. Only those who have given their lives to Jesus because Jesus lived on their behalf. He died on their behalf. He rose on their behalf and he ascended to heaven and sits on the, before the right hand of God, the Son of God sitting there who has given us his righteousness for those who believe and has removed from us our sins, the divine transaction that took place on that cross in his resurrection. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from being strangers and, and abandoned children into being a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. To as many as believe in him, he gives the right to become children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody can pray to God as Father. And many people know that they can't talk to God. You and I are called children. My kids ask the dumbest things. They ask the dumbest things. In fact, they'll get on the stairs and try to... Try to uh, uh, delay their, their movement to obedience, right? And say, Dad, but Dad, I have a question for you. I'm like, all right, Michael, what's the question? Then he's thinking about what question to ask. And it's never a question. It's always a statement about something that has no pertinence on anything. And you know what I do? I listen. Because I'm his dad. You need to start realizing that God is excited to hear from you no matter how eloquent it might be. When you pray, start with Father. Start with Father. Because you are not a stranger, and it's very different asking a stranger for something as asking your own dad, right? And it's fascinating that God, and amazing that God says, let me tell you how I want you to pray to me. I want you to pray to me by asking me, or telling me as Father. And then it says this, as a child who respects their father, you need to look at me and say, hallowed be your name. Don't forget, as much as I love you and how intimate I want to be with you, don't forget who I am. 
I'm the one who set the sun and the moon in place. I'm the one who holds every breath and beat of your heart in place. I'm the one who's going to give you tomorrow or take it from you. I'm the one who holds all of that. I have control of everything. Hallowed be your name. Oh, you're holy. You created the intricacies of this world. There is so much creativity. 25,000 different kinds of beetles in this world. Why beetles? I have no idea. Pick another animal. Pick another creature that you'd be created with. Not the beetle, but God had extra creativity to create 25,000 different kinds of species of beetles. Then there's spiders, and then there's, there's cats, and then there's dogs, and there's all kinds of stars in the universe. God had the creativity to get all of those. That's how big he is, and the power to do it. Hallowed be your name. Oh, your kingdom come. Clearly you're wiser than me. It says, give us each day our daily bread. Yes, we have daily needs, and God wants you to be real about them. Oh, I don't, I don't need food. Right? Jesus fasted 40 days. I'll fast for 40 days. No, no, you, you need food. And it's okay to ask God for food. Lord, I'd love to have extra food today. It'd be nice to have some food. Okay, good. I'm glad you asked. I want to give you food because I know you're physical, not just spiritual. I made you physical to need food and water and relationships. I made you for those things. So you can ask for those things. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins. That's a daily request. I don't know what sins are on your mind, but I always have a list that I can repent of. And say, God, I'm sorry. What's great about this is not that God will take into consideration your requests. Well, let me think about that for a moment. No, and implied in this question or this statement, forgive us our sins, is the implication that, yes, you will be forgiven if you ask. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Forgive us of our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now there is the challenge. It's easy to ask for forgiveness, but it's hard to forgive. The objects of mercy always love it when mercy is shown them, but it's so hard to show others mercy. When someone's wronged you, justice is on our minds. When you've wronged somebody else, mercy is on our minds. And God wants us to have mercy toward others and receive his forgiveness. And then it says, and lead us not into temptation. And that there, can, I could spend a long time trying to unpack that because a lot of questions, but let me put it like, like this. Every morning I wake up and I ask God, Lord, let today be a good day. Let my kids not be so, so bickering with each other and constant in that. Let them be finally obedient to me. And you know why I pray those prayers? Because I get annoyed when they're bickering with each other and my blood starts to boil and then I am tempted to lash out. I'm being tempted by the circumstance of my children. I'm praying for God to not lead me to that temptation. Lord, I... I, and the reality is we know that the world is filled. You've got to be room for the world for temptation not to be there. But we're asking God, Lord, just... just cushion the blow of sorts so I can, I can walk into this world and, and have, have the character you want me to in each step of the way. And then as Matthew 6 will say, but deliver us from evil, let me not give in to the evil in my heart or the evil in this world is tempting me into. As you lead me into these trials, lead me to the temptations that you bring around, 
these things that are there, you're going to take me through them because you cannot remove me from those. You're not going until Christ comes and returns. But I pray you'll lead me gently through these. Deliver me from evil. Now that prayer, I expounded on it, but if you look at your scriptures, it's like eight, eight lines. Fifteen seconds. That's not very long. Which tells me that I don't have to pray a long time for God to think it was an important prayer. I don't have to elaborate on the colors of the room that I want. I don't have to go into great detail for God to say, hey, that, that was meaningful to me. That mattered. And your requests, I hear them. Long or short, it doesn't have to be long or elaborate. He just taught them to pray. Now, Jesus prayed for long periods of time. He prayed for short periods of time. But the point is, will you do it? And here's the thing, will you be persistent in it? And so Jesus, after this short prayer, goes into a short story to reinforce this need to be constant and persistent in our prayers. And he says this in verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend... And you go to him at midnight. Now, if you're over 30 in here, that's kind of a weird request, right? Nobody, you don't go to somebody's house after midnight. It's just rude. But if you're in college, that's the normal livelihood of a college student. You don't go to bed till 2 in the morning. So midnight is a standard operating procedure. Visit friends after midnight situation. So it's late. It's at midnight. And a friend goes over to the house and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Now here, that's not a big deal. You could probably go down to a grocery store that's open 24 hours and pick it up if you need it. But in that culture, that was a very big deal. There's no stores open. I suppose the one inside answers, well, I suppose it would be the real answer the way it all give. Don't bother me. The door is already locked, as if the guy was trying to break in. Right? Well, why would he reinforce it's locked unless this guy was really beating on that door and threatening to walk in if he didn't? It's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Some of you might need to think back to when you had kids. I live with it. But in that day and age, rooms, houses were one room, maybe two if you had some wealth to you, and everyone slept in the same room. And so for a dad to wake up, and you're all snuggled together in the same bed because that's how you keep warm. And you get up, you know it's going to wake up the rest of the crew. And there's nothing worse than a woke baby. Well, you might say it's nothing worse than a six-year-old because he's going to wake up the two-year-old and wake up the three-year-old. Right? Like they're just going to wake each other up and then it's chaos. And you know as a parent the worst time of night is getting them to go from 60 miles an hour to zero. And you're resetting the clock all over again. So this dad is desperate. Don't you ruin my night. We're sleeping here. Don't bother me. Now, verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship. Our friendship doesn't matter that much, right? Sleep is what matters here. Yet because of your shameless audacity... Now, here's, here's my shameless or shamelessly rude is the way I... Because the guy is shamelessly rude. Now, isn't he kind of rude? I would think he'd be classified as a rude friend who comes over and demands of a house that has perhaps kids sleeping saying, hey, wake up because I have a friend I want to feed and not look like a fool in front of. 
Oh, and by the way, he showed up last minute, so right, this guy is shamelessly rude. Because of your shamelessly rude behavior, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. It's one of those interesting parables. So you're thinking, okay, so what do I do with that? With God, right? Now here's what I think Jesus is saying, at least in some sense. Keep asking, because you will get an answer. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking with shameless audacity, because you'll get an answer from God. Now it may not always be the answer you like, right? It might be a yes, it might be a no, it might be a wait. And God promises to give you an answer. He never promises to give you an explanation, though. So why did you give me a no? And he stays silent. He will always answer you. In fact, Jesus in this parable is even going as far to say, even if the answer is no, don't stop asking. Even if you think the answer is no, keep on knocking on that door. Asking. Sometimes God is waiting to make sure you know the answer only comes from him. I wrote here, my kids, when you give them the answer, they ask why. Why don't I get more? Or why are you saying no? Or why do I have to wait? We won't understand if... I'm sorry, they won't understand if I told them my answer. So sometimes I don't tell them why. Because sometimes it really is as simple for them as, well, mom and dad have decided the answer is no. And the explanation you give will make no sense to them. And God understands that your finite mind, my finite mind, will never fully understand all of his ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It doesn't mean that God doesn't come down to our level at times, but there are certain times and things which God's like, this is just because. He will always give you an, or an answer, but not always an explanation. So Jesus says this, so I say to you, ask, or literally keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, or keep seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Notice the promise. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. Those are promises, and that's what makes this so hard for people, and myself at times, going, well, what do I do with this? Because I feel like sometimes I shouldn't be asking for certain things, or someone shouldn't ask for that. What do you do with those things? And I like the fact that God doesn't always say why here. He just says, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And let me give you three reasons why you should keep doing it. Keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The first one, because God wants you to figure out if you really need it. He wants you to figure out if you really need it. Do you really need bread or are you too busy and too lazy to really go walk to the market and buy it yourself? My boys will sometimes say, 
Micah especially, but all of them really. Hey, Daddy, Daddy, carry me up the stairs. Just so tired. And they were just wrestling like there's no tomorrow a second ago. So tired. Carry me up the stairs. And I'm like, no, I ain't carrying up the stairs. You can do that yourself. You're just being too lazy. You're making yourself out to be the victim. And all it is is a mask for laziness. They don't really need me to carry up the stairs. They just want an excuse to not have to do it themselves. See, there are things God has given you to do. Adam was to steward the earth. He was to work the ground, right? That was a gift, God. Responsibility was a gift that God gave him. And God is saying to you, laziness is not an excuse. Not going to work. And sometimes we keep asking and asking because we're just lazy. And God's like, well, so do you really need this? Or is it more? No, no. My kid can walk up. He doesn't need me to carry him. He's just as lazy. And sometimes as you keep asking and asking, God starts to show you a bit of your heart in the process. You know why? Because you can't stand in the presence of God and come to God and him not start to reveal things to you. Because you're engaging him. And I love the analogy of turning a ship. You can't turn a ship that isn't moving. You can't engage and move somebody relationally if they're not actually willing to talk about things and make the ask and process. And so perpetually asking the same thing. It could be the wrong request, the wrong thing. I'm not concerned about that. Many of us give up before we should. Many of us walk away before we should. Many of us use spiritual piety as our excuse. And God's saying, don't do that. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Because you're going to start to discern more of what is it you really, really need. And then you'll know what to ask for. Second, the process of continually asking helps you see what you really need. Now, it sounds similar, but let me put it this way with an analogy. So when I got married, <clears throat> my first year of marriage, my wife, as beautiful as she is, was a struggle. That was a hard year. Learning to live together, bring in two worlds. Uh, we smile in that picture, but that was a very hard first year. And for a while, my, I was praying, right, as a godly man, a pastor would, Praying for my wife. Lord, fix her. <laughs> right? There's just issues going on here. She doesn't see it, but fix her. And I'd pray that pretty constantly. And then over time, God, actually, I, my prayer started to change going, God, just fix our marriage, right? I'll take it off her. There's two peas in the pot here, right? Well, we'll just fix this marriage. Fix this relationship. And then over time, I started Change to saying, God, just fix me. And it's funny, when I started praying to God to fix me, our marriage started getting better, and my wife started to change. It's crazy. Or maybe I just, my perception of her changed. And my heart started to change toward her. The way God's heart is toward me, he sees all the warts, wrinkles, sin, rebellion, all that's there that is dirty, and he still says, I still don't walk away. I'm still here. I still love you. Don't care. I got more of the mind of Christ through that process because I can look at something that really would turn you away and say, you know what, but that doesn't do it for me. I can, I can still engage that. And there's no reason why you can't have a beautiful relationship with your wife even if she never changes because that's what happens with God in us all the time. 
I know I see it with my kids now, actually. I, I, same routine. <laughs> I mean, they are just messy creatures. I pray for mercy on their souls all the time because they're just messy and, uh, and rebellious in every which way. I go, Lord, is this really what I look like to you? I can't believe it. But, man, here they are. And, uh, and I say, God, change my kids. <laughs> and I sure hope he does along the way, right? But change my kids because our house is just crazy. And then I go, oh, Lord, just, just bring healing to our home. He'll change our home. Then he's like, okay, God, change me to be able to love my kids in this mess. Give me more patience. Right? Through the praying and talking to God, he starts to steer the ship. And your requests and prayers. It helps you see what you really need. It's not that I need my wife to change for a marriage to be great. I need a change for my marriage to be great. It's not that I need my kids to change, though I hope they'll grow over time. It's that I need to change for our house to be great. And Lord, would you change me? We are told to ask and seek and not knock. And I love the fact that this friend didn't go to another door. I'm sure he had other friends. Close-knit community. Maybe he's his best friend. But you, if your best friend says go away, you probably find your second best friend, right? But he stayed persistent on that single best friend's house. A lot of us tend to go to other friends' house when we hear God not, ah, God said no, I'm going to go ask somebody else. That's what money promises, by the way, right? Well, God said no, I can still buy that. Well, God said no to this, but I can still do it. That's the, the promise of money, right? We go knock on other doors. Well, I'll get a better career and I'll make the money, God, and you can't stop me from getting all those things I asked you for that you rejected. We knock on other doors, but this is the problem. And number three is that we need to realize the good gifts only come from God. The good gifts only come from God. Persistence in praying to Him. Asking Him over and over is, again, a daily reminder to yourself, but also a daily affirmation to Him that all good and perfect gifts come from above. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. The gifts that actually make life rich, meaningful, purposeful. The things that you really are trying to fulfill in your heart through the money or through the trips or through the reputation is all found in what God gives. Only he can give those gifts. Everything else is secondary. We're knocking and pursuing gifts that will spoil and fade. Gifts that aren't as good as the great ones. And friends, I really want the good ones. And sometimes what it's going to take is for me to recognize what good is. Again, going back to my children, they have a bad discernment of what good gifts are. You go to a Target, any toy will do. I'm going, that's going to break in a day. But they have to have that one gift. I'm like, all right, you have three hours of that thing, and then it's done, I'm sure. This thing is going to break, right? I'm like, this is, this is the good gift over here, but they're fixated over on this one, right? I'm like, all right. You got that one. That's one you want. What you don't realize is that your dad actually has the best in mind. Now, I'm flawed for sure. And I don't always have the best discernment. Granted that. But God does. And he knows what will break and what won't. And what gifts are good and which ones aren't. And which ones will really satisfy and fulfill. And we are busy pursuing other doors. 
Knocking on other people's places. The world will give you all kinds of options. And Jesus is saying, keep knocking on my door. Keep knocking on my door, seeking my face. Don't knock anywhere else. You get a sense that he is passionate about us not walking away to false gods. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Romans 8.31 says, and God promised, or if God did not withhold his own son from us, why would he not with him also give us all things? It's a pretty strong, broad promise there. All things, all things. It's a matter of waiting, timing. This might sound, this is not health, wealth, prosperity. I'm not going down that road, but I am here to say that every single one of your desires God intends to fulfill. Every single one. It says in the scriptures, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. You may have to wait a few more years, and it may cause be death, but anything you get before that is still a decaying gift. Every amount of healing you get is still a decayed healing. You're going to die again. Every car he grants you is going to be a decaying car. Every house is a decaying house. Then it will be taken away. And God intends to give you the security, the, 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 the identity, the, 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 the freedom that you are hoping that all those things will bring. He says yes to all of those in your life. Yes. Are you willing to wait for it? It's the same way you're willing to wait for an iPhone 10 and wait outside Apple's Apple store for days until they open up and show it by your actions that that phone is worth that much. Are you willing to wait for my gifts showing the world that even years of waiting for the gift you're asking for is not too little of time to wait because this gift is so good and I'll wait forever for this gift because if you bring it, it'll be amazing and I'm waiting for that day. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking on the door of God with all of your requests, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes only from above. We close with this. James chapter 5, 17 and 18. Elijah was a human being. Now, if you don't know who Elijah is, let me just give you a recap. Elijah was a guy who lived a long time ago. He's one of the big top like four guys in the Old Testament. Moses, Elisha, Elijah, Daniel, probably the top five. Maybe even David throw in there. This guy was a prophet of Israel. He was one of the guys that you would point out saying, this is, this is what I hope my children grows up to be. We have a life-size poster with little measurements, hoping little Billy will grow up to be Elijah. If you do your Michael Jordan pictures or whatnot. Elijah was the model. And it says here, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Now, it's an interesting way to start, especially because when you read the scriptures, you think he's anything but like we are. And this guy, this guy did all kinds of miracles. Called down fire from heaven. I haven't seen that done. I, I even asked God one time to keep my, my food growing in my bowl like he did that widow's little oil jar. He hey, just keep it going like you did hers. And nothing happened. It was a small request, right? Nothing. But he called fire from heaven down to consume a whole altar. This guy was a special guy in my book. He seemed to have a better voice to God, but James is making sure you know that he is a man just as we are, meaning he was a sinner in need of a savior. He needed mercy from God and grace. And all that he did was only because God did something through him, not to because he was special, because God was amazing. He had anxiety and depression. 
This is Elijah. He was a human as we are. He doubted God at times. He got angry at times. But here's what he did. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now, literally, we all know that you and I have no control over the weather patterns. Elijah really has no control over the weather patterns, right? He can't control it. Jesus did. Because he's God. But Elijah prayed persistently. Literally prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. He kept... Let me make sure I didn't pass something up. I did, but that's okay. He kept bugging God. That's my, that's my line that I missed on this slide. He kept bugging God. There it is. <laughs> Can you imagine being over his house for dinner? Or him coming to your house and you're like, don't let Elijah pray. He'll just pray for it not to rain. Yep. He did it again. Man, we need rain, Elijah. Don't you realize that? We need rain, actually. None of this, no more rain. My crops aren't growing. But he prayed that it wouldn't rain for, what was it, for three, for three and a half years. Imagine the wildfires would take place in California. And it didn't rain. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops, all because he just prayed and prayed. The point of James putting that there is, guys, it's not about you being something special. It's about you being persistent before God in prayer. Again, I'm not promising you that you're going to ask for a bowl to be, never run out of cereal so you can have it, the favorite kind all of your life. That's not what we're going for here. Go, God might do that. So who knows? But what I'm saying is, is that God wants you to knock on his door always because you're convinced that every good and perfect gift comes from him. And he wants to knock on his door always because you know that as you do, he can shape you and guide you and mold you into the kind of person he intends you to be so that your life more reflects his goodness. And oh, by the way, the joy, the cup of joy overflows into you. I get the picture that Jesus was anything but dreary. Jesus was a joyful man. A man that was so joyful that even as he went to the cross, he was resolved to go there. I would have backed out because I was so convinced that I have to preserve myself. But the joy welling up in him kept him daily to go to the cross. Oh, how I wish I would go to the cross for my kids. And daily I walk away. Daily I compromise. And I want the joy to be born of me that I would say no to impatience and yes to kindness in every situation. But I'm a flawed man, so I don't always do that. I need the joy of the Lord flowing inside me. Man, I wish it was there. Jesus had it. And God wants to give you overflowing joy. Continually walking in him. Here's my question to you. What if you prayed and kept praying? What are the possibilities for this year? What would God do in you and through you? What if instead of worrying, what if you prayed? What if you put a stop to that moment? You know what? I'm worried right now. Lord, I'm just going to pray. And if I keep worrying that next hour, I'm going to keep praying. As long as I'm worried, I'm going to keep praying. Imagine what would actually go on. And what happened if instead of getting angry, or when you saw yourself getting angry, you just paused and, Lord, I'm just going to pray for that person. Pray for me. And it might be hellfire and brimstone. Like, Lord, I pray you would just destroy them. But at least you're giving vengeance to him. Right? And Lord, I pray, you know, you're talking to God who will start to shape you through the cross. 
So you talk to his father. I don't care if you get it wrong. Just start praying to him. What if instead of sitting in jealousy, you prayed, right? You're jealous because somebody has something you don't want or you don't, you want or you don't want them to have. You know, we get jealous because we think that something else will give it to us and we get angry that we don't have that and we got to remember, oh yeah, the good gifts come from God. So what if instead of sitting in the jealousy for that house, car, relationship that you just prayed? What might God do in 2020 in you, in the cup of joy in your heart, and through you in the transformation of the community around you if you kept bugging God?